Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where we like to challenge the status quo and ask if there might be a better way if we have room to improve. Today we're talking about making disciples and the church's role in that process of discipleship. The status quo in the church's approach to discipleship is, well, pretty academic, and I mean that literally. Most discipleship programs in churches amount to an academic regimen. It's an attempt at transferring biblical and theological information in a class or lecture or sermon setting, and they're trying to transfer that to the would-be disciple. But is that really working at making true disciples? Well, more and more people are asking that question, and one of those is Rick Lawrence. He's the longtime editor of Group Magazine and the author of many books, including The Jesus-Centered Life. And he's one of the co-creators of a new resource called Friends of God, a discipleship experience. Welcome, Rick. Thanks, Tom. You've thought a lot about this process of discipleship. For you, what does it mean from a biblical perspective to be a disciple of Jesus? We all kind of, if we grew up in the church, we know that sort of the Great Commission kind of language. It's kind of now churchy language of go and make disciples of Mm -hmm. all the nations. And it's one of those deals where we hear it so often that we think we know what it is, but then if we had to stop and really describe, what is a disciple anyway? You have to take a pause for a moment. But I think in the end, it's it's a, a, a disciple is a person who's been transformed by the love of God in such a way that they can't help but follow him. So that I think in the in the way that church has translated that word, it's become something quite different, I think, than what Jesus meant when he said it. How so? Well, I think what Jesus was interested in is uh, exactly the outcome that happened with his 12 first disciples, 11 of them executed, one dying on the island of Patmos. So it doesn't sound like the, the greatest <laughs> fun outcome, but, but uh, what I mean by that is that these people were so intimately connected to Jesus and so all in with Jesus that giving up their life for him was the natural fruit of that commitment. We often think of the whole aspect of martyrdom as a decision or a choice we we would never be able to make. Oh my gosh, how would I risk, risk my life? But actually for those people, uh, it was simply the the sort of byproduct of their commitment to Jesus. They couldn't help but do what they did, and the consequences of that were that they were killed for it. But really the thing to focus on is when Jesus made disciples, they were people who were so intimately tied to him that they simply couldn't imagine themselves apart from him. And that's what led to their, you know, to their violent end. So I think that's what he's really after. And when you get that from somebody, that's really about the heart more than it is about the head. Um, in the end. It's not people who could recite all of the teachings and parables of Jesus, and therefore I'm going to die for him. It was people who are committed from a heart level to him, and therefore sacrificed their life for him. You've been working on this uh, discipleship project called Friends of God. What's, What's the big idea with this project? I think the big idea is kind of locked up in what I just said, that uh, 
that in the church we've typically approached, as you kind of started off the podcast with sort of an academic approach to this, our discipleship immediately conjures up head-based things. How much do you know is really how we define Mm. discipleship. And when we compare that to what Jesus was trying to do with people that he met, not just his disciples, but people he encountered, he was trying to conquer their heart more than their head. He didn't get into a lot of debates, unless we're talking about his encounters with the Pharisees, where he was really trying to outsmart them more than anything else. Mostly what he tried to do is capture people's hearts. So the big idea in the Friends of God uh, discipleship experience is, what if we mapped our discipleship journey to the way that Jesus actually planted seeds of discipleship in the people who are following him? What if we mapped it to a growing, intimate relationship rather than a growing body of knowledge? As we've talked about, the, the church has typically followed an academic model of attempting to make disciples, but you're advocating quite a different model. Uh, I'd call it a friendship model in making disciples. What do you mean by that? Well, the uh, thing that we focused on as we developed this was this sort of a tipping point moment. I think it's a tipping point moment in all of history when Jesus in John chapter 15 Um, says to his disciples, basically, up until this point, you've expected a sort of master-servant relationship with God. All of the Old Testament is framed by that kind of relationship, and Jesus himself uses that kind of language early on in his teaching with the disciples. But in John 15, he upends all of that, and, and he does it in the most subtle and shrewd way he, he uses the language of the master-servant relationship, which is obedience, essentially. You do what I command. So Jesus takes that language and, and says, I have a new commandment for you. Here it is. And you can imagine the disciples like on the edge of the seat, okay, what do we have to be obedient to now? And what Jesus says the new command is, is that you love each other as I have loved you. Well, that's suddenly a relational context that is wholly different from a master-servant relationship. And he follows that up by saying, basically, up until now, um, I've called you servants, but from this point forward, no longer. Now I call you friends. because." And then he gives an example. He says, because friends let each other in on everything in their heart. So they're totally vulnerable with each other. I share everything that's in my heart. You share everything that's in your heart. That's the way it's going to be from now on. That's what I hope for. So I, I think we, we've we read this so often, we don't realize what an enormous shift this is th- that Jesus is making. And it helps us to understand what he's expecting of a disciple now. He's not expecting primarily a servant-master, obedient-based relationship, although obedience is the fruit of a passionate relationship with someone. But he's changed the game to map this journey with him to the same kinds of ways we grow an intimate friendship in everyday life. So he, he's trying to say, let's let's build a friendship now, and not just any friendship, but an intimate friendship. Yeah, in, in John 15, as you've alluded, he said, I no longer call you servants. He could have probably just as easily said, I no longer call you disciples. Yeah. I call you friends. Mm-hmm. Why do you suppose from 
his own perspective, he made that distinction. What, what, what's he looking for in this relationship? Yeah, I think he's looking for what, what God lost at the beginning of all time. So at the beginning of all time, we know that um, when God created Adam and Eve, he, they enjoyed a tremendous, unbroken, unfiltered, shameless intimacy with each other. And then this seed of destruction, this seed of deceit entered into the relationship, and, and Adam and Eve believed the lies of the enemy of God, and that lie was, is God's heart really good? That's a central lie. Is his heart really good, or is he holding out on you? Is he, does he really intend good things for you, or is he kind of holding the good stuff back for himself? So it introduced this idea that had never existed before, that somehow God's goodness was in question. And when they bit of that apple, what they were really saying is, no longer do we have an unbroken string of trust. Now our trust is shattered. So what God had in that intimate relationship, he's all along intended to restore it. And you see his efforts in the Old Testament to begin restoring it through sacrifice and obedience, to begin laying the groundwork for a restored relationship with him, and then his masterstroke is sending his own son, not just to die and therefore give us eternal life, but to restore the intimacy that we were created to have with him. And I say that uh, we actually have the potential for greater intimacy with God than Adam and Eve had. For us to, to find intimacy with God, it means we must overcome our own shattered trust the betrayals that we felt, the uh, unrequited love we have felt in life and with God, all of these hurdles we have to overcome. So when someone now says, I have an intimate friendship with God, they have overcome way more things than Adam and Eve had to in the beginning of all time. So I think it's actually a deeper, richer kind of intimacy that he's restored to us. So that's his end game, and that doesn't come through the head, that comes through the heart, primarily. Mm. You say in uh, the Friends of God project that discipleship is about relationship, not perfection or performance. How does that understanding affect how a disciple of Jesus lives out each day? Yeah, it's interesting because the, the whole academic framework for this is, is uh, if you think about how that works— you're supposed to gain enough knowledge to do well on a test, and you're tested in your knowledge, and your goal is perfection. I want to get an A. And that is supposed to tell you that you've mastered the knowledge. But none of that makes any difference in a relationship. Um, none of that grading system is what we naturally, organically think of in a deepening, healthy relationship. If, if I have... It, if my relationship with my wife is in a season of great intimacy and trust and joy, I'm not thinking inside, we're getting an A right now. <laughs> um, I'm thinking instead in heart-based language, like that, that it feels uh, satisfying to be vulnerable with someone and have that vulnerability honored and embraced and delighted in. It feels uh, I think it's our deepest satisfaction in life to be enjoyed by someone at a very deep, intimate level. We all crave that. Well, that is essentially what Jesus is hoping for in our relationship. He wants to be enjoyed at a, 
the deepest level that human beings are capable of, and he wants us to experience his enjoyment in us in a similar way. So that's not a grading situation. <laughs> the, the metrics of a relationship are completely embedded in the heart, not, not so much the head. Mm. You know, research shows that most Christians today have a, well, a pretty cold view of God. They view him primarily as critical or authoritarian or distant. And to some degree, I'd have to say that those of us in the church is, have probably had something to do with that somehow, passing along those views to people. But you're talking about encouraging a completely different kind of relationship with God. Yeah, here's something that has kind of blown my mind. If you think about the Bible, I guess let's back up. The typical way we think about the Bible is that it's flat. So if you read the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's all uh, equally relevant to our life today. And it is, but not in the way we think it is. I think the Bible is a is a, the story of a progressive relationship, a progressive redemption over time. And God is quite patient in paving the way for full restoration in this relationship, a full re-embracing of this intimacy that was once lost. He's quite patient, but it's more of a—it's it's the patience of a narrative rather than the patience of a linear progression towards something. So the Old Testament boundaries and expectations around this relationship were much more master-servant related, and that's what was necessary in the beginning stages of the restoration of our relationship with him. All of that was necessary, but Jesus was continuously saying, um, the kingdom of God is now present among you. He was saying, uh, everything that happened up until this point leads to me, and here I am to change the game. I'm going to take us the next step in the restoration of our relationship. It doesn't mean that everything we read in the Old Testament no longer applies or is relevant to our everyday life, but we have to see it through the filter of a progression of relationship. So when for, I guess what I'm trying to say is when we read Old Testament language that is obedience-based and master-servant-based, it was very much true at that stage of our restoration of relationship, but Jesus is literally saying, uh, we're not going to use that language any longer. We're going to use this language now. So he's indicating a progression in the relationship. So for us to go back and, and continuously try to re-embrace this master-servant language when Jesus has said, no longer, that's what creates tension and confusion in us. And I think it's why so many people report describing God as a distant authoritarian figure. It's because we have not yet caught on to the transition of relationship that Jesus is asking us to, to do. We have stayed camped in old language and in old boundaries around that relationship when Jesus is telling us to move past it. You know, and this, this invitation to become friends of God, friends of Jesus, is not limited to what happened with those 12 when Jesus said that 2,000 years ago. In fact, uh, in Romans 5, uh, we read... Uh, Paul saying, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, relationship with God, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. What's interesting about what you just read, it's so ironic, 
He's saying we can rejoice in our new relationship with God. So the, here's a guy who was a Pharisee, Pharisee of Pharisees in his own description. He had the most famous mentor in history, Gamaliel, who only had about 50-something students his whole life. So he was the cream of the crop. He would be like uh, the, the top student at Harvard is the way you could describe Paul. So if anyone knew this stuff and knew Old Testament boundaries around the relationship, he did. And what Paul is saying is, hey, we've been given a new relationship. Whoa. It's the joy that we have over this new season of relationship with God should be overflowing because we're moving from one kind of relationship to another kind. And this one is a lot riskier. It's a lot more intimate. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more collaborative. Instead of a master simply giving edicts to his servant, Jesus is more like, um, uh, let's figure out this adventure together. Let's partner. You even, if you go to uh, John chapter 17, where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit coming, and he's just giddy with excitement that it, when he leaves, the Holy Spirit's coming because he, he's giddy because the Holy Spirit will then live in us, communicating the, in the most intimate way we can experience because he's inside us at any moment of the day. We can, what you might call reason together, which is really that word really means figure out our hearts together. What, what are we going to do next together? That's what Jesus is most excited about is this this shift into a much more intimate kind of relationship. Mm. Well, thank you, Rick. This new project is called Friends of God, a Discipleship Experience. It's a 12-session process, including lots of interaction, personal adventures, and, and even a powerful new film. And one of the things that I think is interesting about this project is it's, it's yeah, it's 12 sessions, but it's not uh, 12 classroom setting <laughs> that's, that's uh, expressions. True. It's, it's really an experience. Yeah, that, I, I, it's highly conversational. It's highly interactive. It has experiences embedded in it. It's fun. It's also deep. You know, sometimes when people hear deep, they think of hard, like slogging through something. But this is deep in the same way that when you have a satisfying, deep conversation with someone and you come away feeling satisfied and, and refreshed and yourself again, that's what this experience does for people, I think. It, it, it makes them feel more themselves somehow, mm. makes them feel more deeply connected to God and to each other, and there's, that's essentially what we were wired for, those two things, a deep relationship with God, deep relationships with others. This progression, um, and that's what it is, it's a 12-session progression, that's the, the outcome of it. We, we have this sense of fulfillment from satisfied relationship. And the progression itself follows a friendship progression. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it's not that hard. If you slow down and pay attention to how we actually make good friendships, you realize how much that maps to essentially what Jesus was trying to do. Mm. He is essentially trying to make good friends of us <laughs> and, and, to, and to find that kind of level of relationship. So when you put some of those filters that we all know, because we all have friends, we all have experienced what it's like to do that, when we map that to our relationship with God, it seems both familiar and new at the same time. Mm, interesting. Well, Friends of God, it, uh, it's available now at group.com and at Christian retailers. And Rick, I, I believe also you'll be... Uh, 
talking about new approaches to discipleship at group's upcoming Future of the Church Summit. And uh, listeners can learn more about that at thefutureofthechurch.com, thefutureofthechurch.com. So we'll look forward to hearing more from you then. Thanks, Rick. And uh, thank you all for listening to the uh, Holy Soup Podcast. We'll see you next time.